if you just know what you're doing and if you take some time and learn, you know, how do we work with our feet? What do my feet need? What unusual things are there about my feet that I need to educate myself about? You can go from possible failure to success. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode 191, John Vonhoff shares tips and tricks to help you take care of your feet. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. Foot pain and blisters. Most of us in our adventure hobbies have had to deal with these annoying ailments at one time or another. John Von Hoff is here today to educate us on proper foot care and hopefully to provide a few good tips and tricks that will keep our feet out of trouble. John is an ultra runner and a foot care expert as well as an author. He's volunteered his knowledge and services at running events around the globe, patching up thousands of tattered feet. He spends time speaking to runners and hikers about being good stewards of their feet. With more than 20 ultra marathons under his belt, including competing three times in the 100-mile Western States Ultra and 10 times in the Santa Rosa 2400-hour track run, John has the experience to guide us to great foot care. His book, Fixing Your Feet, Injury Prevention and Treatments for Athletes, is in its sixth edition and continues to be a leading manual for proper foot care for athletes. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. So for many of us, foot care is not exactly the, the epitome of riveting conversation, but I think your expertise uh, really fits in with our audience. We have a lot of ultra runners and backpackers and through hikers that could benefit from your tips and tricks. So let's jump, excuse me, let's jump right into that. Um, I personally have been plagued with, with foot issues, you know, ever since a kid, I used to have heel issues playing basketball and, uh, and baseball and football and, you know, water skiing and sprained ankles. I've broken ankles, uh, snowboarding, and it's been all of this constant plague of foot issues. So I'm hoping that you can share a few things that'll help me deal with my foot issues, not to mention the blisters that, that we, we all experience. So what is it that that causes our our issues are we just not trained correctly or do we not know how to take care of them in the long run what's the what's the deal well first and foremost i think what happens is people simply overlook their feet i've been to events and people spend thousands of dollars on their race or their through hike and they've got all this planned out. They plan out their food. They plan out their gear. And they never think about their feet. They might have socks, but they're not quality socks or they're not the right kind of socks. Or they don't look at their boots or their shoes to see, are they really still good? Are they worn down? Should I replace the insoles? 
Are they giving me the, the support I need? So the more we forget about our feet and the less attention we pay to them, we often, yes, yeah, suffer the consequences. Yeah, I think that's probably the problem. I've not, um, I've had not had the luxury of anybody telling me how to take care of my feet. I mean, as kids, we would hike in cotton socks and just, you know, that's right. all we had. We didn't know about good quality equipment. So what are some things we need to pay attention to? And, and I'd like to gear this a little bit more towards the hiking backpacking community. I, I'm sure that the, um, there's a lot of similarities there, but at the same time, hikers and backpackers will wear some different footwear than, than runners will. Right. Well, when you, times have changed. When years ago, hikers would wear heavy boots. That was just the, the norm. But many people now are using trail running shoes or lightweight hiker shoes to go out there and, and hike. So there's a lot of good footwear out there. There's good quality socks that people can pick up at their local stores. Um, but you've got to start with a good base. And for me, what I tell people, I have some absolutes. I'm a stickler on the fact that I don't like calluses. If you have calluses on your feet, it's typically because your feet are rubbing somewhere in your shoes, so that builds up the thickened skin. And if you get a blister underneath a callus, it's really, really difficult to find where that fluid is and get it out of there. It can be very painful. And so I try to get people to file their calluses down. Skin that's soft as a baby's bottom is often how I say it. Something that's really soft will be better than hardened callus skin. And for some people, that's, I mean, they like their calluses. They think it protects them. And up to a certain point, it may. Another thing I'm a stickler on is good quality toenail care. So whether you're, you're hiking in trail shoes or boots and say you're going down off of a pass and every time you take a step, your feet go forward in your boots. And if your toenails are too long, they catch on your socks, are forced backwards, and you could potentially get blood or fluid under a toenail. In some cases, even force the toenail back in the quick can be very painful. And so I tell people, file them down, cut them short first, and then file them using just a simple nail file. So when you run the tip of your finger over the tip of your toe, you don't feel any rough edge or corner because that way there's nothing for the socks to catch on. So good toenail care, reduce your calluses and so your skin's good. Those are the two main ones. So calluses, I've always, you know, been of the mind that calluses were good, you know, that you get blisters, but once you get a callus, it's more of a protective layer. So can you go into that a little bit more? I don't, I don't understand why you wouldn't want a callus. I mean, if you were to file that down and have soft skin, wouldn't you just be susceptible to a, another blister? One might think that, but I have experienced over the years as I've worked on people's feet and talked to people just that the opposite is, is actually true. Uh, as you have friction in your shoes, you're, you build up that hardened layer of skin. And over time, if it's repeated pressure and 
friction, the skin gets really thick. And it's not just one layer of callus. It's multiple layers of skin, and it can get really thick and hardened. And bad callus, like on the back side of a heel, can affect the way that your foot fits in your shoe. Callus under the ball of the foot is is very common, or on the sides of the uh, small and the large toe. That can be very bothersome. And um, it's just, I have just found that thick, hardened callus is more harmful than it is good. Uh, That said, it's difficult for many people to reduce calluses because no matter how hard they try to file or use creams, etc., they just can't get their their calluses um, down to where it's it's good, softer skin. But in my mind, you've, you've got to work on that. If you want to Keep your calluses. That's perfectly fine, and I don't fault people for having them, but I tell them in my experience, here's what I found. Ah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I having a callus, like I said, it feels like you're, you're protecting something, but what you're saying is you're actually creating a harder surface to to create a lot of friction underneath that. And once you get a blister underneath the callus, you're, you're much worse off. If you have a blister say on the side of your heel and if it's soft skin you can see it and can see the fluid in there and it's easy to lance it to get the fluid out tape over it and you're good to go if, if you have fluid under a callus you can't see it you don't know where under this callus it is so say You've got an inch and a half of hardened callus on the side, the outside of your heel. You don't know where that fluid is or how deep it is or how much is in there. And the only way to get to it, you can't use a scissors. You have to literally use a needle to kind of go after it and try to get down and find that exact little area that has the fluid in it that might be smaller than the size of a pea. So let's talk about why we get blisters. Um, I assume this is a, a situation where we're just, you know, having a friction where the skin is moving, you know, against the shoe, but also moving against the, the subcutaneous layer, um, and then that causes the aggravation. But what is the, the kind of the science or the the mechanics behind it? Well, you you kind of hinted at it in your your words there. It's what's going on inside the tissues. In many uh, editions of the the book previously to the the new sixth edition, uh, all carried the same thing. They're caused by heat, friction, and moisture. And in this new edition of Fixing Your Feet, I found, and I have a whole specific section and chapter on it, that there's this thing called shear. And to give you an example... If you think of your heel bone, your calcaneus, as you go through the foot strike and you come down in your hiking shoe on your heel and you roll over toward and off your toes, that heel bone goes up and down. It's, it's just going to move through the foot strike. Your, that bone moves against the inner tissues. And as pressure and friction in your shoe increase you have the chance of 
um, a sack of fluid forming in there. That's the blister itself. Your skin is typically moving, you know, just a little bit against your sock. Your sock is held in place against the insole and the sides of your shoe. So the only thing that really moves well is your heel bone against the inner tissues. And that back and forth movement up and down is called shear. And so you've got to work on how can we increase the ability of the skin and the inner tissue to actually move with the heel bone and not allow a blister to form. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense. Your description of, uh, you know, basically having a little movement creates the ability to create a lot of movement and that's where where you get the blister forming and i mean not to be gross but what is the fluid that is actually forming in there why do we end up with that pool of stuff it's just what's generated by the tissues in there it it isn't harmful uh it won't cause any issues if you get it into say if you've got um, if, if you have somebody you're hiking with and they have a blister and you pop it for them, you know, I can't, I have to be careful what I say here. I'm not a doctor. And so some people will say, oh, you have to use personal protection and put rubber gloves on your hands and, be, you know, all that stuff so you don't get the fluid on your hands. I've never had any issue. And if there's blood in it, of course, that's a whole separate story. But just the, the fluid in there, uh, it's just the result of the movement back and forth. The tissues begin to separate, rub against each other, open up, form this cavity that fills with the fluid in there. <laughs> so maybe when in doubt, just have your buddy take care of his own issues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well... I'm a strong believer that everyone, yes, yeah, should know how to, to take care of their own feet. And for me, what that means is, you know, I can tell you what I do. I can show you what I have done for thousands of people. But if I tell you, well, you have to wear this kind of sock or you have to wear a certain insole or shoe and you have to use a lubricant, between your toes and on your heels and all that, that's fine. But And that may work for a, a period of time, but it may not work. And what works for me, I, I generally say, doesn't necessarily work for you. So you've got to find what works for your specific feet. What do your feet want and need to remain healthy? Yeah, yeah, I would say it's probably the best idea just to to go out with a little a little bit of an arsenal of things to try while you're out there in in the real world and just see what matters or what makes a difference. Yeah, you've if if you're going on a hike, it's it's really simple to put together a small little foot care kit just in a Ziploc bag and have some alcohol wipes and a needle or a a pin is even better yet and some tape wrapped around a straw or a pencil and something to put over the blistered skin, uh, some antibiotic ointment, some alcohol wipes. hardly takes any space. And uh, actually, I wrote an article once on the one-ounce foot care kit. So it doesn't have to be heavy. Won't won't fill your pack up with a bunch of extra stuff. <laughs> That's good for ultralighters for sure. Certainly. So 
once you now you have a blister, okay, you haven't managed to ward off the the blister itself. Now you have one. What is the best thing you can do? Some people say, don't touch it, just leave it alone. You know, it'll do what it does. And some people say, no, sit down, stop, take care of it. So what is your recommendation that somebody do once they find they have one? Well, the interesting thing is I have never seen a blister that has gotten smaller. <laughs> True. They all they they all get larger. And if there's enough pressure and friction and the shear continues long enough, you're going to get one that fills with blood, which is even then more serious and harder and more difficult to treat, particularly if you're out in the middle of the wilderness somewhere hiking and you still have days to go. So you've got to clean the skin first. Um, Hiking in boots, your feet sweat, you get dirt and trail grit in there. And so having an alcohol wipe to clean the skin is really important. Um, And then you've got several options. How do you lance it? Well, the the first question actually backing up is probably when or should I lance it even to to start with? Or if it's, you know, uh, say it's pea size on your, your heel, but you can feel it. You know it's there. My take on it is I will lance anything no matter what size because then I know I've taken care of it and it won't get larger, number one, and it won't turn into something more serious, number two. So I will lance anything anywhere on the foot just because it's going to be more comfortable for the person. Okay, so you lance it, you drain it, you clean it with alcohol, and then obviously you're going to put some sort of bandage to keep uh, dirt and grime out because I assume you're, you're open uh, to the possibility of infection. Do you then tape it? What's the best method to get something on there so you're not creating a worse problem? Well, I want to back up a second, though, because when you lance it, uh, a lot of people don't have an actual plan when to lance it or even more importantly where or how and if if you're out there and you have a multi-utility knife that has a little scissors on it then you can kind of pinch the skin and cut a v in it with the scissors and let the fluid out that way if you use a needle remember that poking something with a needle is nothing more than a puncture wound which often will seal back up on itself once you pull the needle out. So if you're using a needle, I tell people kind of put it in and then move it side to side to elongate the hole so it won't close up. That's number one. But if you look at, we'll go back to the blister on your heel, you want to lance it typically in at least two places where gravity will help the fluid flow out and down and pressure going through the foot strike, you come down on your heel. In doing that, that, that heel comes down, it kind of compresses, and so make a hole forward on the forward end toward the toes and more toward the top. So as you come down on that heel, it forces the fluid up and out too. So I generally always make at least two lancing spots on everything that I lance. And then, yes, what do you do? Well, you squeeze the fluid out, number one. You 
dry the skin, maybe use your alcohol wipe to clean it again, and then you have to cover it. And if you have something like uh, moleskin, you'll probably find that it doesn't stick well. So I prefer tapes, whether it's um, kinesiology tape or um, you know even duct tape in a pinch works. There's a lot of tapes out there that people use. White athletic tape typically doesn't stick very well. Spenco makes a product called Skin Knit that is very soft and conforms very well to the, the foot. So that's easily carried. It comes in a thin rectangle and can be cut to size. So um, I take, I would carry a small tube or container of antibiotic ointment. Put just a dab of that over the blister itself, over the top of it. So that when you cover that then with tape and the tape ultimately comes off, you're not going to tear that skin off the top of it. It'll stay on there. Uh, I also use desitin that is used on baby bottoms or zinc oxide over the top too. That helps as a drying agent. Um, just something to protect the the roof of the blister so the skin won't won't peel off. Now, is there any benefit from taking that skin that was the top of the blister out completely so it doesn't continue to to rub and loosen up and expand, or do you is it better to leave that on and, and cover that all up like you just explained? You're typically better off to leave it on. Number one is because if you if if you take it off, what you have underneath is just plain raw skin and all of the exposed nerve endings and that can be more painful much more painful than leaving the roof or the skin on top if the skin has torn if you take your shoe and sock off and you have a one inch blister on your heel and the skin is already torn i even try to put some ointment inside underneath it and then lay the skin down over the top of it and then tape over that i try not to cut any skin off Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkle, an Olympic trials athlete, to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge. All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen-carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hard-working muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month through-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at biotropiclabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE. Have you heard of the SIOI Iris 4G Action Camera? It's Adventure Sports' first always-connected camera using mobile 4G LTE networks. Push a single button and you kick off a live stream to your friends, family, and fans so they can join you on your crazy adventures. See for yourself how it works. Visit live.sioi.com and sign up for free. Follow some of their professional mountain bikers, skimboarders, motocross riders, and of course adventurers and join in on the fun as it happens. That's live.sioeye.com. 
So let's talk about preventative measures then. There are reasons we get blisters, and sometimes we're just simply not going to control whether we get them or not, but I think we can have a a large influence on uh, the severity or how many we get. So obviously, and most of us know, cotton socks out completely, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, cotton just holds moisture in, becomes very damp. Um, Yeah, I'm not a fan of cotton. There's so many excellent good socks out there nowadays that will either wick the moisture away from the skin or even fabrics that are moisture hating and they won't allow it to even uh, attach to the fabric of the sock so good quality socks is your first line of defense obviously but it also gets down to you want to make sure that whatever you're wearing on your feet if it's hiker boots or shoes um, that you have a good fit. If your footwear doesn't fit and your heel's moving up and down or you've got too much movement in the forefoot or it's too tight, pinching your toes, pinching the ball of your foot, you're going to have more chances of having issues. So make sure you, whatever you're wearing on your feet fits as best as it can. And then you've got your socks. Now make sure that if you're wearing one pair of socks, it's easier because that's what most of us do. But some people wear two pairs of socks, a thin liner sock and then a heavier outer sock. When you do that, make sure that that volume, that extra volume from the extra pair of socks is still okay within that shoe and it's not compressing uh, or constricting the foot too much because that can cause separate issues. So... um, you know, fit, good good quality socks. And then some people like to use powder on their feet. Some people like lubricant. Uh, and there's many lubricants out there. Some, in my opinion, are better than others. But if you're prone to certain types of issues with your feet, whether it's blisters between the toes, toes that overlap, um, issues with ball of the feet, and so forth, you've got to know that ahead of time before you get out on a multi-day hike and figure out that uh, something's wrong here. Yeah, right. Well, and of course, spend some time in your shoes, whatever you plan on taking out to that kind of distance hike, you know, spend some time in the house or just walking around and get your feet used to those and and the shoes used to your feet. Well, in in the old days with heavier boots that a lot of people wore, I mean, I remember when I was out of high school, I mean, this is a long time back, I won't date myself, but it was a long time back, and I had heavy boots, and you had to wear them to break them in, and with many of today's hiking boots or even shoes, you don't really have to do that, but... What you said is good. Yes, it's a good idea. Wear them around the house. Make sure they feel good, that there aren't any uh, bad seams within the shoe itself, that you don't have any pressure points that can come back to hurt you later on. Make sure they fit. And if you're uh, walking around your house is one thing, but walking there, walking outside up and down trails with... 20, 25, 30, 35, and more pounds on your back will often uh, change the, uh, the way that your feet feel at the same time. 
Oh yeah, yeah. You can't. Uh, it's hard to mimic your your foot sliding forward you know, on a thirty degree slope <laughs> and jamming right. up to the, the toe of your your yeah. shoe. So I want to talk about the the doubled up socks uh, method. The it's always made sense to me to to use two very thin uh, layers of socks so that one can cling to your foot and then slide within the other one, which is probably clinging right. to your shoe. Um, Correct. You know, I, it, it's a sound theory, and it, it has worked for me in the past. Is it something that you would recommend? It's kind of an individual thing. Um, I would say it's probably not as common as people think. Uh, when I work, particularly ultra marathons, I don't find that many people wearing double double socks, but it can be very helpful because like you said the one layer of sock moves against the outer one and so that can relieve some of the friction and the pressure there which is certainly helpful so your options are several you can wear a sock like right socks w-r-i-g-h-t uh, socks and they're double layer. They're actually made with two layers of fabric that move against each other, and they're very, very. Um, they've been around for years, and I believe they're even one of the only double layer socks out there. Um, excellent, excellent company. Excellent socks. Other people will go actually with two pairs of socks, and if you're prone to toe issues than wearing a pair of Injinji liner socks. Injinji are the toe socks for people who haven't heard of them. Each toe is actually encased in its own little sock, hmm. so to speak. And the socks actually, the toe sock portion of the sock conforms very well to whatever size your toes are, whether it's large or small. It may feel a little bit funny to start out with and take some getting used to, but if you've had blisters between your toes or tips of the toes, etc., uh, the Injinji toe socks can be a lifesaver. So some people will wear those purposely underneath then a heavier outer sock or even you know, a thinner sock. The outer sock doesn't have to be heavier. It's just the the whole purpose of, is two layers that move against each other. Yeah, those make a lot of sense. I didn't realize those were available, but I think that's probably the worst blister is getting the ones in between the toes because that's some of the, the most tender skin you have on your body. You know, they, they just don't usually take abuse. And once you get a blister in there, you don't stop thinking about it. Well, and, yeah, and that's that's so true, and it doesn't have to be large. I was just in Death Valley at the Badwater Ultra Marathon, and a lady had just had a small, smaller than a pea size hot spot open up, and the skin pulled off, and she had this raw skin, and it was killing her. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be big, but it can hurt like crazy. And what you have is the two toes rubbing against each other and nothing to protect it. Mm, that's a good tip. I think I might have to go look for those. <laughs> they're, they're, they're out there. And in Jinji is I-N-J. Let me make sure I spell this right. I-N-J, I-N-J-I. 
and they're easily foundable on the web. Uh, a lot of hiking stores, running stores carry them, and they come in all different widths, or I'm sorry, uh, heights and fabrics. So there's Coolmax, there's wool, there's the liner ones and more. There's, there's hiker socks. Yeah, they're excellent company too. Oh, very cool. All right. Well, you mentioned materials, wool and the Drymax. So let's talk about materials and the pros and cons of it. Um, maybe what is your recommended material to start out with? I know I, not everything works for every person, but what's a good one to start out with if people are having problems and they might want to try something different? Socks are fascinating. They have changed so much over the years that just this this um, this influx of new fabric combinations where you used to have years ago just one hundred percent cotton socks and now there's there's spandex there's wool there's nylon there's coolmax there's bamboo there's all these different fabrics all melded together into one sock and they're made often with either channels like under the arch of the foot to uh, increase the chance of perspiration from getting off your foot. There's stretch points in the sock that are made to either stretch more over, say, uh, under the arch of the foot or over the top of the foot around the heel. Uh, So socks are made, sock companies have, have done just a fabulous job of making better socks that fit our feet well they most of them have done away with the the bad um, seam inside over your toes so most of them don't even have seams that can be felt and they're they're durable now all this obviously has come at a price i mean socks i've seen can easily go 25 30 dollars <laughs> for a good quality pair yeah, right. uh but th- that said you can spend you know under 20 bucks for a good pair of socks that's going to last for a long time provided of course you take care of them yeah and that's uh you know it's sometimes a, a tough pill to swallow you're thinking 20 dollars for a, a pair of socks but the difference they could make is absolutely night and day and you know if you're wanting to get out there and enjoy your adventure and not get these blisters or at least minimize your your risks um man all of a sudden twenty dollars doesn't seem like a big deal at all yeah and if you're certainly if you're traveling light and you don't want a second pair of socks i would argue you need a second pair of socks so you alternate every day or even change your socks at at noon uh i mean there's there's nothing wrong with with doing that too your your feet like some air time. So when you stop for a trail snack or just to rest because you're climbing up a, a long pass or something, you know, sit down, take your shoes and socks off, air your feet out. It'll really help them and potentially avoid any issues from popping up at the same same time. Okay. Well, you brought up a good point. It was one of the questions I wanted to ask. Is it worth the wait to bring another pair of shoes because your shoes, you kind of want those to be uh, be able to air out as well. So 
obviously, you know, ultra lighters, they, they want to slim down everything. I don't imagine they're going to bring another pair of shoes with them. Um, but many of us might consider it if it's going to be better for our feet. So on a day hike or, you know, a, a multi, a multi-day hike, is it worth bringing two pairs of light shoes so you can strap a pair to your pack halfway through the day and let them air out? I would probably not do that personally. Um, if somebody wants to, that's, that's certainly their choice. I would be more inclined to say, here's my, my hiking shoes, whether it's a trail running shoe or a specific hiking lightweight shoe or boot or even a heavy one. That's your footwear to hike in. Now, when you get into camp... What you want is to take those off your feet. You want to put something else on your feet. So I'm inclined to tell people, um, carry something else that becomes your camp shoe that you can wear around camp. And sometimes this can be used in a pinch if if your regular hiking shoes go bad on you or something happens and you, you, you just can't wear them anymore. And so what I tell people is, Find yourself a nice, comfortable pair of sandals or even Crocs. They're very, very light. They can just be tossed on the back of your pack with a carabiner or uh, a couple of ties. And you get in camp, you take off your shoes and socks, you air your feet out, you walk around in Crocs or a, a sandal. And in a pinch, you could actually hike out in them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So not necessarily uh, beneficial enough to take the extra pair of of regular hiking shoes, but I like the idea of the camp shoes. And I would imagine you probably recommend people not putting socks on when they're sleeping overnight. It just gives them a a chance for their feet to air out even more. Right, right. Okay. So let's talk about the the book. Um, I don't think I even mentioned that you're a, a podcaster in my intro, but you have your book, which is Fixing Your Feet, uh, Injury Prevention and Treatments for Athletes. You also have your podcast because you're an author, and the podcast is called uh, Writers and Authors on Fire. And your podcast is to inspire and help aspiring authors, right? Correct. Okay, so Correct. tell me about the book first. Um, it's in its sixth edition. Obviously, it's been out for a while, and I think a lot of people are using this thing. So what can people find in the book, and why is it useful? The story behind fixing your feet is, is fun. In 1992, I ran a 72-hour race and had uh, some blisters between my toes, and a friend of mine showed me how to duct tape my feet, which was really new to me at the time and that kind of piqued my interest and over the next years my son suggested that I write something about feet and I did in 1997 we did the first edition I did the artwork Uh, a guy I met on jury duty designed the cover and I self-published it and over the course of two editions it became a success and then a mainstream publisher picked it up which is Wilderness Press and yeah, about three weeks ago, uh, end of July, the third, the sixth edition came out, which is really awesome to have a book get to that many editions. And there's almost 375 pages of everything that you ever wanted to know and probably stuff you didn't want to know <laughs> about your feet. And so it goes into the basics about fit and insoles and shoes and minimalist footwear 
because that's become very popular too, especially for folks who are out there hiking. They want to feel, quote unquote, the dirt and the rocks and everything underneath their feet. So, And then a, a significant section on prevention, and that goes anything from skin care to self-massage of your feet to wearing gaiters around the tops of your shoes, how to lace your shoes to uh, accommodate issues with your feet, taping your feet, uh, lubricants, powders, skin tougheners, taping your feet, just, um, you know, how do you handle extreme conditions like ice and snow and sand and heat, moisture, etc., to keep them under control too. And then a a very large section at the end, which is treatments, and that's everything from the blisters that become obnoxious and never seem to stop to spraining an ankle to tendon issues, toenail issues, uh, toe issues, uh, just everything under the sun. And uh, it's it's become very popular. Uh, a lot of people know of it or I'm sure have it. But there's still uh, a large number that haven't heard of it. So I, I take satisfaction that over the, the years, because it's almost been 20 years now, this has helped a lot of people understand and take better care of their feet. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I think if, uh, if you're, getting, uh, you're getting some good tips and tricks here, and you're obviously providing those for us, if you guys are getting good tips and tricks here um, as a little sampling on this show, then definitely go, go find John's book and, uh, and look to see what else you can do for your feet. Because obviously taking care of our feet makes a huge difference in our enjoying of our adventure activities. I will even add that I often get people who... Um, Tell me, oh yeah, I've I've got it. I've got the second edition, and I go, wow, that was like year two thousand. <laughs> you know, a lots a lots changed in that time frame. So every edition has new and updated information from the URLs to the products to new techniques and skills and learning. So I encourage people to try to stay current if you can. I mean, it isn't that expensive. Um, and it'll, I mean, your feet will thank you for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll be sure to get the uh, the link to the book in the show notes for sure. And we'll do that for the podcast as well. So tell us about the podcast. You being an author, you've uh, you've been doing this podcast for a little while and it looks like things are going well. So tell our audience about the show and why they might go and listen to it. Podcast comes out of my speaking at writers' conferences about marketing and self publishing and book proposals and ideas and just writing in general. And I found that a lot of people just were lost and they didn't understand certain things and tended to come back to the conferences year after year with the same issues. And so I started. Writers, Authors on Fire is a podcast about a year and a half ago almost to help people to hear other people's stories. So I interview authors uh, and even folks that don't have a book yet that you know, maybe won't ever have a book. I want people to hear their stories to be inspired over what what helps them write, what what makes them get fired up over writing and whether it's your subject matter, the audience that you want to help, 
uh, all of us go through many of the same issues. So it's it's me as an author interviewing other authors about their writing, and uh, I've just had a lot of fun. I interview all genres and all types of writing out there, and uh, it's 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 been fun. I can say it's helped people. It certainly helped me as I hear other people's stories. And it's often said, everyone at some point says, yeah, I want to write a book. I have a book inside of me. <laughs> and yet for many people, it will never happen because they don't know how, they don't understand it. And yet we're in an age with Amazon and Kindle eBooks where anybody can actually write something whether it's good or not, that's a whole nother story. But anybody can write something and publish even five copies for their family. So if you get out there and do a whole bunch of hiking and you want to write about that and put it in a story form so you can pass it on to your kids, it's doable. And it isn't that expensive either. Yeah, it looked like you had a, a good mix of, of interviews on there, like you said, from the inspirational to the this is how you self-publish, you know, the, the, you know, the, the how-tos for authors. And you brought it up, but I think we probably do have a lot of listeners that are have done the AT or the CDT or the, the PCT um, and would love to write about that, but really aren't sure where to get started or haven't... Uh, haven't reached the right point of inspiration. So maybe they need to come over to your show and listen a little bit and, and get their game on. Yeah, there's there's a lot of helps out there. And, uh, you know, I, I just see so many people that do some fantastic things. And, and they're, you know, a through hike can be a fabulous experience. And you want to capture that. You want to savor it and be able to share that particularly with your children or your your family and what better way than to put it on paper yeah absolutely Bent Gate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for more than 20 years. The snow is melting and the crags are drying out. Time to break out the hiking boots, rock climbing shoes, and tents. Gear materials and designs are more evolved than ever. From the latest ultralight gear to the tried-and-true classics, Bent Gate has the premier brands for climbing, hiking, and camping essentials, including Arcteryx, Hilleberg, Nemo, Western Mountaineering, and many more. Need advice on destinations, getting started, or on fine-tuning your quiver of gear? The Bent Gate staff are all passionate adventurers who can give you the data and advice you need. Bent Gate is also hosting numerous events and speakers this summer, so please check out their events page at bentgate.com for more information as well as to see their full product selection. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new Flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small.
John, this wouldn't be the Adventure Sports Podcast if we didn't have you tell or share some sort of story uh, from your races or just your experience in running. Uh, do you have something in mind that might entertain or inspire or, or even uh, warn people of impending <laughs> circumstances that they could, or they could find? I th- I th- I've, I've got, I mean, over the years, I have patched so many feet that some of the stories and experiences run together. But I have seen everything from multi-day, seven-day races in the Amazon jungle where feet are just wet and macerated the whole time to Death Valley in the summer heat and sand and what what i i like to i i just want to help these runners continue so my aim always as i work on people's feet and talk to them is how can i get you back on the trail how can we fix your feet whatever's wrong how can we patch it how can i educate you so you can get back out there and complete your hike complete your run and have a good experience while you're doing it so that's always my my aim and so one story in particular, I, I was at Death Valley working at the Badwater Ultra Marathon, 135 miles long. And the runners run this on a road. And it goes from the low point in the United States up to Whitney Portal, after which some people actually hike to Whitney Summit. And during the night, they woke me up and a runner wanted to quit. And all he could tell me, all he wanted to say was, I can't run, I can't walk, I quit. I can't run, I can't walk, I quit. And so I took some time, took his shoes and socks off, looked at his feet. He had a couple what I'll call corn calluses at the base of two of his toes. And somebody had taped over that with a very coarse, rough tape. And his so the balls of his feet were just very, very tender and soft, and it was hurting him. And yes, he was right. In his mind, he couldn't run, he couldn't walk, he was done. But he had family there, his wife and, I believe, a son, and had spent a boatload of money to get there and to do this very challenging event. And I talked to him and educated him while I patched his feet up. I said, I can't guarantee how fast you can run, but I can get you back out there. That's what my aim is. Patched him up. He went back to where he had last stopped, which was mile 90, came in and had a fabulous completion to the finish, finished so that extra 45 miles. And I've still, I can visualize the picture of him with his family at the finish line of this event that he wanted to quit. And so, you know, obviously, if your feet are hurting, it can be very, very painful. And you think you're totally out of hope and loss. But if you just know what you're doing, and if you take some time and learn, you know, how do we work with our feet? What do my feet need? What unusual things are there about my feet that I need to educate myself about, you can go from possible failure to success. Yeah, that's a neat story. I can't imagine rider running 90 miles uh, only to feel like you need to quit and bail out. That's a lot of effort. And then to have somebody like you come by and 
get the guy back on his feet and finish out the the rest of the the, the run that's got to be a, a serious feeling of gratitude he he feels for you yeah yeah it's it's you know certainly i'm satisfied but i'm even more happy that he had success and i mean that's that's what i like to 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 hear it's it's nice to get emails which i get all the the time from people either asking me for help and then they email me later on and say hey you know i got this down or i finished this long hike there's uh, a lot of people email me that are doing the the i believe it's called the camino de santiago hike in spain which is over 500 miles long and you know everyone's asking for help and it's just such a it's it's a huge accomplishment to do that but whether you're doing that or hiking the ice age trail or the the cdt or at or any other trail out there or just a you know weekend overnighter you know you're carrying your pack you're self-sufficient you're on your own it's up to you and uh, you know there's just so much satisfaction in in going out and doing that and enjoying that time outdoors all right, I have one more question for you before we, we part ways, and I'll let you go after that. But I wanted to bring up wet feet again. Obviously, uh, hikers and backpackers are going to deal with river crossings. And we're not just talking about sweat wet. We're talking about full-on soaked through. So do you remove shoes? Do you leave them on? Do you, if you cross you know, and leave them on, do you continue to hike in those? Or do you get your socks changed out? What is the best method to deal with full-on soaking wet feet? That is an excellent question because it is, it's a common issue. And, you know, back in 1987 when I hiked the John Muir Trail, yeah, there was a lot of stream crossings in there and our feet got wet. And over the time, I think I've, um, I've done things where, I, at first, I go, no, I'm taking my shoes and socks off, and I'm walking across, and, and then I'm putting them back on because that way, you know, my feet aren't wet. But they dry pretty quickly, particularly today with the mesh running shoes or trail shoes. So I, I wouldn't necessarily jump to say you've got to take them off and tie them around your neck. Uh, now, I'll put in a plug for that if you've done – the good thing here and have a camp shoe, whether it's a sandal or a croc with a strap on the back, you can always use those to cross and then just tie those on the back of your pack afterward. Oftentimes, I haven't found too many crossings where every rock is smooth. And so you step out on this rock and you land on the ball of your foot that's already sore from walking on it you know, five, six miles on your hike with a backpack. And, and so then you step on this sharp rock and it, it hurts. So at least keep your socks on and change your socks on the other side. Just that little bit of protection can certainly help. Uh, but I'd, I'd be inclined probably, I just march on through. Um, and then though, the other thing is keep in mind, many people have feet that, just really sweat up a storm and so there's there's ways and and i i go in to this in the book of actually an antiperspirant or or certain other products out there to help control sweat on your feet 
if you're hiking and it rains and your feet get wet or after a stream crossing, certainly I would probably stop on the other side, take my shoes and socks off, wring out my socks. Here's where I'm going to now put on that extra pair of socks I'm carrying and tie the wet ones on the back of my pack. Um, and then I would tend nowadays to carry something like zinc oxide or desitin maximum strength original paste ointment to put on my feet to help control the moisture, which can lead to maceration. If, if you hike long distances and your feet don't dry out, if they remain wet, your skin ultimately will prune up like when you've been in a bathtub or your hands are wet for hours and your skin softens, it begins to fold over on itself, it, the skin can separate and it can be very, very painful. And the only thing to help that is time. You have to take your, your wet footwear and, and socks off, air your feet out, maybe put some powder on it if you have it, and allow them to uh, the skin to go back to its normal shape. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I imagine you can get in a whole lot of trouble if you don't take care of your feet. I mean, you know, some people will save up and quit jobs, you know, to do a, a six-month thru-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. And I can't imagine getting part of the way through there. And then because you didn't take care of your feet, you ruined your whole trip. That's, uh, those are excellent tips. And certainly that's something if I met that person who had to quit, I would say, why did you quit? And if it's your feet, what, how much time did you spend in advance of your hike preparing your feet, learning what they need and how to take care of problems should they pop up? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, John, man, that was awesome. There's uh, great tips in there, and I'm sure our audience got as uh, much value out of that as I did. I mean, there's a million other questions I could ask, but we're uh, already over time, and I want to let you have your evening back. But, sir, please uh, please accept my, my gratitude for you coming on the show and sharing all those tips and tricks with us. You're very welcome. Over the years, I sometimes I shake my head and go, you know, I just keep talking about feet, you know, and <laughs> folks shake their head when they hear I wrote a book on feet and how popular the book actually is. And yeah, I, it's, 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 it's been a ride, but it's been really fun because whether you run or hike or do just a, a overnight pack or a through hike, the only thing that's going to get you there is good, healthy feet. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Well, well said. All right, John. Well, you have a good evening. Again, I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me on the show. This has been fun. You have heard all the hype around paleo, low-carb, organics, diet powders, and the like. How does one sort out what really works? Good news. Gary Collins has done the homework for you. Regain and maintain your health and live that life of vitality. Learn more at primalpowermethod.com. Don't forget to pick up your Adventure Sports Podcast t-shirt at the link on the right side of our page at adventuresportspodcast.com. Now get out there and try something new.